Let us pray. Dear Lord, as we listen to your word, open our minds and our hearts so that we might better understand and comprehend what you would have us learn. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is Mark chapter 4, verses 30 to 34, and it can be found on your, in your pew Bibles on page 994 if you would like to follow along. He also said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which, when sown upon the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks for reading, Susan, and for leading us. You know, they say M&Ms melt in your mouth, not in your hand. Ice cream sprinkles melt in your hand. <laughs> Uh, so this season, early in 2024, we are, we're thinking about this theme, the kingdom of God, which is a phrase that Jesus uses quite often, especially in the Gospel of Matthew and Mark. And Jesus tells us the kingdom of God is like, and then he fills in the blank, and he uses a lot of different illustrations and examples. And so as we think about the kingdom of God, we're not so much looking to define it as though we could master the kingdom of God, but we're looking... Think of it maybe, maybe more like a, um, if you've got a, a diamond, like a well-cut diamond, you know, and you hold it up, and depending on how you turn it, it refracts light differently, and you see different colors, and it sparkles and glimmers. Um, we're not so much looking to fully understand the kingdom of God as though we could. We're looking to receive and wonder at and admire the kingdom in the same way you might admire a well-cut diamond. That's kind of what we're doing here. And even as we, as we interact with scripture, so often our tendency is, I want to understand scripture. I want to master this. And that's not necessarily wrong. I mean, there's a sense we do have to understand scripture, but just as important, maybe more important than mastering the scriptures is allowing the scriptures to master us and to just sit with and wonder at what is God like? To wonder at and notice just how beautiful and awe-inspiring he is. That's really how we change, is when we receive God and when we notice him. And so Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God using all of these, especially in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, using all of these parables. Parables were one of his favorite teaching tools, uh, and parables are basically just short stories with a point. And when I say a story with a point, I don't mean like a fable, you know, that has a moral. Parables, actually, most of the parables that you read, it's not as though it has a point and you can figure it out and you check that box and then you move on with your life. I mean a point as in like the pointy end of a stick. Most of Jesus' parables are meant not to help you understand God better, but in a sense to understand God less. They're meant not so much to synthesize and tie God up with a neat bow on top, 
but to disrupt our understandings and to challenge our misunderstandings at God's kingdom. Oftentimes, the, pa- the parables take a, a shape so much. You can read between the lines for these and, and see that Jesus is kind of saying, you know, I know you think God's kingdom of like, is like this, but actually it's like that. They fray the edges of our misunderstandings rather than hemming everything in so neatly. So this morning, as we consider what is God's kingdom like, we're considering Jesus's parable, this very short parable where he says, kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Now, this is probably one of Jesus's best known parables. Most of us have probably heard this. If if you grew up a churchgoer, if you've been a churchgoer for any length of time, you've probably heard this one. And the most familiar parables can be the most enlightening. They can also be the most dangerous. They're dangerous because we've heard them so many times and we've read them so many times that we skip them over. We think, yeah, 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 I know. This happened to me actually just this week. So I was sitting and as I was trying to prepare this sermon, I I preached on this text a couple of times actually and I was looking over old notes and I found myself really struggling with how do I... What, what is there in here that I don't know? And one of the beauties of Scripture is that it is constantly teaching us. We believe it's alive. And so we never should get to a point where we think, I've got this, and just move on. See, I've always thought, when I read this parable, that Jesus was basically saying, look at how small a mustard seed is, and look at the big tree that, it, that can grow from it. And that's not wrong, necessarily. But it's not the whole point. And what I saw this this week is that Jesus actually has much more in mind than just tiny seed, big tree. Most of us read this parable and we think, little bitty seed, big tree. Again, that's there. But there's so much more to it. And here's, here's what I learned this week. Let me share with you what I learned thanks to Google and Wikipedia and a couple of horticultural websites. I started wondering, Why did Jesus pick mustard? Why did Jesus pick mustard? He says very specific, he doesn't just say the kingdom of God is like a seed. He says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Why mustard? As I started looking up mustard, I started coming across this refrain over and over and I thought it had to be wrong. And the more I've realized, I think maybe it's right. If anybody knows anything about mustard, now we don't know much about mustard because it doesn't grow around here. If you lived on the West Coast, you know a little bit more about mustard. If you live in California, you know a lot about mustard, perhaps, because mustard is one of the most invasive weeds in the state of California. Did you know this? As best as we understand, in the 1700s, a group of Spanish Franciscan missionaries came to California And they were traveling through California trying to share the news about Jesus, and wherever they went, they planted mustard. Today, 250, 300 years later, 44 U.S. states list mustard as a noxious weed. It's so bad in California, here's how bad it is, that it used to be on their top 25 list of most invasive weeds, and they took it off the list because they realized there's no hope of getting rid of it. 
There was a novelist, Helen Hunt Jackson. In 1884, she published a novel called, titled Ramona. Here's what she writes about mustard in her novel. She says the mustard plant is a tyrant and a nuisance. The terror of the farmer. It takes riotous possession of a whole field in a season. Once in, never out. One plant this year, a million the next. You think she's writing hyperbolically, but 2,000 years before Helen Hunt Jackson, Pliny the Elder, a Roman author and agriculturalist, makes this little note about mustard in his writings. Here's what he writes. He writes, once a mustard seed has been sown, it is scarcely possible to get a place free of it, as the seed, when it falls, germinates at once. Jesus is not comparing the kingdom of God to a stately sugar maple or a white oak. He could have. There are other places in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel and Daniel and in the Psalms, that compare the kingdom of God to cedars of Lebanon. We know now in the nation of Lebanon, more then than now, because a lot have been harvested, there are these enormous cedar trees. They could grow up to 130 feet in height, 130 feet. And we have biblical evidence that not only they existed, but the kingdom of God was compared to those. Jesus, so why didn't Jesus say the kingdom of God is like a cedar of Lebanon? Why does he choose mustard, a scraggly little weed that grows maybe 10 feet, generously 20 at the absolute most, that's invasive and obnoxious and takes over a landscape? Why mustard? The more you start thinking about it, the more you realize maybe this is part of the point. And again, this is where parables come to kind of twist the knife a little bit instead of just making everything neat and tidy. Maybe for starters, Jesus is not saying that it's about how big and impressive and stately the kingdom of God can be. It did occur to me this week, I don't know if I'm taking the metaphor too far here, but it's actually not that hard to cut down a big tree. It's a lot harder to get rid of an invasive weed. It's almost as if Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is not the majestic, obvious thing. It's the subversive thing. The kingdom of God is a subversive kingdom. It flies in under the radar It's so unnoticeable and unassuming that you don't even see it until it germinates. And once it germinates, it's there, and it's there for good. You see how that could actually be good news? Now, we could go on and on and on about this. I could, believe me. It says so much about God's kingdom that God's kingdom never fades. Look at the state of California. Like they gave up trying to get rid of it. And some of us might just need to be reminded this morning that God's kingdom is not going anywhere. That is good news. Some of us might also think about God's kingdom within us. Because this is not just good news about God's kingdom in the broad global sense. 
We know that God's kingdom can be very personal. When we pray every Sunday, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying that prayer cosmically, but there's a personal aspect as well. God, make your kingdom come in my life and in my heart, and maybe even through my life. So we can think of the mustard seed not just as a broad cosmic global phenomenon, but maybe something that God is doing in our life. It struck me that some of you have told me just in the past couple years, you didn't use the word mustard seed, but you've basically said, God came into my life like a mustard seed. I, di I didn't see it coming. I wasn't even looking for it. I wasn't looking for him. But somehow, and by the way, this is said in Mark 4, Jesus tells three parables about seeds and in all three of them, the point is the seed is the word of God. It's God's activity in our life. Somehow I heard the word of God. Somehow God became real to me and it began to germinate. And no matter if I even wanted to get rid of it, it wasn't happening. He is changing me whether I like it or not. But boy, I sure like it. That's the mustard seed. And in some way, it's as if Jesus is saying, Maybe God's work, even in our lives, should be a lot more like the mustard seed than the giant cedar tree. Not that a cedar tree isn't impressive, but when you think of a big tree, at least the image that you get is a couple of big trees in the middle of a landscape. When you think of the mustard seed, and especially if you do a Google image search for mustard plants, especially wild mustard, you'll realize it's everywhere. That God, maybe God intends for his kingdom to touch every single corner of our lives. That there wouldn't be a square foot or a square inch in your heart that is untouched by his grace. Our tendency is to compartmentalize things, especially in the West, so I've got the faith part of my life. This is the part that you see Sunday mornings from 10 to 11. And then I've got the work part of my life. That's Monday through Friday, 9 to, 9 to 5, or whenever you work. And here's the taking my kids to sports part of my life. And here's the I'm cooking dinner on Thursday night part of my life. And here's the I'm going out with friends on Saturday afternoon. But like we've got all these parts of my life. Maybe Jesus is saying, that God's kingdom, even in our lives, is supposed to be, in the best sense of the word, invasive. Invasive. That you wouldn't have the faith part and the work part as though there were no faith at work, but that every part would be invaded by his grace. We can even think about this if we zoom out a little bit. Maybe Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is not the big stately cedar tree, that beautiful church building in the middle of town. And the church stuff happens in there, and then the non-church stuff happens here. That would be the giant cedar kingdom. Maybe Jesus is saying, no, actually, my kingdom is supposed to be invasive not just trapped within the four walls of a church building and within the confines of 10 to 11 o'clock, but everywhere and all the time. 
Because the church, remember, church doesn't mean building. Church means people. So if you imagine anybody, somebody you know, Joe Schmo, who honestly doesn't want to wake up on Sunday morning and go to church, maybe Jesus is saying that Joe shouldn't have to wake up on Sunday morning and get dragged to a church service that he doesn't want to go to anyway to hear about Jesus. Because Joe works in your office, and in fact, Joe is your employee. And what if the kingdom of God were so invasive, in the best sense of the word invasive here, that Joe couldn't help but notice that even though you're his boss, and even though you have to do his performance review every quarter, and even though you have to correct him and set him on a better path sometimes, somehow you always do it with a sense of grace and charity, and he knows that that there is love in this. The kingdom of God is invasive. Which, Which actually takes a pretty large weight off of our shoulders, too. Now we know, and we talk a lot about here, that God calls us, he invites us to partner with him as he builds his kingdom, as he makes the world flourish again. The trouble is sometimes we get a misunderstanding of that and we start to think that God needs us. And now if you think God needs you, that God is relying on you to make his kingdom grow, you're gonna start worrying. What if I mess up? What happens when I'm not charitable in my performance review with Joe? What happens if I get short with a stranger, with that cashier who put the bread under the watermelon? Or I don't know. Hopefully it's not that dramatic. There's always one, right? When we remember that the kingdom is more like mustard than a couple of scattered large cedar trees, we can find a tremendous release from the pressure of thinking, I have to get everything right, and if I don't, I might mess up God's plan. (coughs) How do you cultivate a field of mustard? How did the Franciscan missionaries in the 1700s cultivate a state full of mustard? They just threw out seeds. And actually, if you're going to do this, you know, you expect that not every seed is going to germinate. Remember how I said that this parable is, this parable is actually the third in a series of three parables about seeds in Mark 4? The first is about exactly this. It's also a very famous parable, the ones of the different kinds of soil. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a man throwing seed out, a farmer throwing seed out. And some falls on rocky soil, and some falls on soil, but it's got other plants and thorns that choke it out. Some falls on the path, and it just gets trampled on. And then some falls on really good soil, and it grows, and it germinates, and it multiplies 30 or 60 or 100 times. It's as if Jesus is saying... Every seed doesn't have to germinate. I don't expect every seed to germinate. Every time you try to be gracious and it doesn't work, every time you try to kind of steer the conversation, even just in a positive direction, or better yet, towards trying to think about a gracious God, and it doesn't work, 
Every time you try to talk about Jesus and the person says, I just don't buy it, or they change the subject, so what? It's as if Jesus says, don't expect every single seed to germinate. Just keep scattering seed. Just keep ministering the word of God and the grace of Jesus. Maybe it lands, maybe it doesn't. The results actually aren't up to you. God calls us to do what we can, not what we can't. He doesn't call us to cultivate a whole field of mustard. He says, just scatter some seed. If you don't believe me, read the parable between the different types of soil and this one. Actually, I'll read it for you. How about that? Because this one's short. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps, I love this. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, while he sleeps, the seed sprouts and grows. And he does not know how. All by itself, the Greek word for all by itself is where we get automatic from. Automatically, the soil produces grain. The soil produces grain, not the farmer. First the stalk, and then the head, and then the full kernel until the harvest comes. What's Jesus saying? He's saying the farmer is not the one responsible for making the seed grow. In fact, from the farmer's perspective, the seed just kind of grows on its own. What if through this parable Jesus is telling us, is reassuring us, is comforting us, you are not responsible for making the kingdom of God grow? Just throw out some seed. Do what you can, not what you can't. And let God take care of the growth. For me, I don't know if you're anything like me, for me, that liberates me. That actually makes me want to try more. The fact that it's not up to me makes me counterintuitively want to work harder because I don't have to fear failure. Now, I've used the word, I know I've used the word, uh, I've used a number of words, negative words, to describe the mustard seed. And they're all true. It's invasive. It's noxious, it's a weed. And I've used those words because that's how the US Department of Agriculture describes mustard. I've just taken the words straight from their uh, literature. There might still be a question in your mind, wait a minute, Chris, so why do, we want to, why do we want to describe ourselves in God's kingdom and what we're about as invasive and noxious and a weed? Can't we find some more positive words to use? It's a good question. First, just remember, all metaphors are limited. There's not a perfect one-to-one -one correspondence. But secondly, if that language rubs you the wrong way, let's take just a moment and examine our own assumptions. An invasive plant is problematic from an agricultural standpoint if it crowds out good plants, if it crowds out native plants, or if it takes over an otherwise healthy landscape then it's a problem. If we extend the metaphor to our lives and our world, if you assume that the native soil of the world and of your heart is healthy soil, then this parable is gonna trouble you. But what if the native soil of our heart 
is not as healthy as we want to think it is. The biblical authors don't assume it is. Jeremiah 17, Jeremiah the prophet writes that the heart is deceitful above all things. In Psalm 19, David writes this. He says, Lord, forgive my hidden faults. Isn't that an amazing thought? That there are faults in your life and in my life that we're not even aware of. But God is. And you don't actually have to buy into the validity of the Bible to believe that maybe the soil of our heart and the soil of our soul is not as pure as we wish it were. Just consider when somebody expresses an opinion, let's, make, let's take this up a notch. When somebody expresses a political opinion that you disagree with, is it easier for you to assume the best about their opinion or the worst? Is the soil of your heart natively healthy? Or maybe not? When you're running late and the person in front of you is going impossibly slow, is it easy for you to be patient with them or impatient? Is the soil of your heart healthy by default? Or the easiest example in the world, if you have kids, did you have to teach your kids to be selfish and to say mine? Is the soil of our hearts natively healthy? If the soil of our heart is not as healthy as maybe we initially thought, then maybe it's not bad news. Maybe it's good news that the kingdom of God is invasive. You see where I'm going with this? Maybe it's good news that God, the gracious and the just, God, the kind and the compassionate, God, the generous and the just and the gentle has invaded our hardened world and has invaded our hardened hearts and sown the seeds of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Maybe it's good news that those seeds, which are actually not native seeds in the landscape of our soul, have somehow taken root there because, because Jesus, the Christ, the, the missionary farmer, so to speak, is there just throwing out seeds in our hearts. And they take root and they germinate and the seeds of love and of patience and of kindness grow tap roots and they send out runners and before you know it, without you even realizing it or looking for it, the landscape of your soul suddenly looks far more attractive. And more importantly, we who were formerly dead in our transgressions become vibrantly, fully alive. And not just us, but the world around us that was cold and gray with a damp chill in the air becomes flush with possibility. All because there's the farmer just throwing out seeds. In fact, today we know that mustard is an invasive plant. But again, if you do that Google image search, you will also be struck 
by the images of whole fields and meadows of mustard, there's a unique beauty in those fields. I think Jesus is referencing that beauty. We know that. I'm going to go back to that quote. Remember that quote I read from Helen Hunt Jackson? Part of it's on the front page of your program. Let me read more for you. Listen for how she describes the mustard plant. She says, The wild mustard in Southern California is like that spoken of in the New Testament, in the branches of which the birds of the air may rest. Coming up out of the earth, so slender a stem that dozens can find starting point in an inch, it darts up. A slender, straight shoot, five, 10, 20 feet, with hundreds of fine feathery branches locking and interlocking with all the other hundreds around it until it is an inextricable network like lace. Then it bursts into yellow bloom, still finer, more feathery and lace-like. The stems are so infinitesimally small and of so dark a green that at short distance they do not show, and the cloud of blossom seems floating in the air. At times it looks like golden dust. With the clear blue sky behind it, as it is often seen, it looks like a golden snowstorm. The plant is a tyrant and a nuisance. The terror of the farmer, it takes riotous possession of a whole field in a season, once in, never out, for one plant this year, a million the next. But, but, it is impossible to wish that the land were freed from it. It is impossible to wish that the land were freed from it. Its gold is as distinct a value to the eye as the nugget of gold is in the pocket. What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you can plant in the ground, and yet when planted, it grows, and it becomes the largest of all plants, with such big, such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. Amen.